Hey everyone and welcome to the Shiro Editor's Corner, a completely new and unscripted series of mini-casts with your hosts Dave and Peter. Come join your elder Shiro's as we reminisce on our favorite Saturn memories in this new and nostalgia-packed podcast series. Hey everyone, it's Saturn Dave and I got Peter here with me. Hi everybody. And uh, how are you doing Peter? What have you been up to? I'm doing okay, I'm doing good. Uh, I actually just recently finished the uh, Shining Force 3 trilogy. I played it all the way through in English. Oh man. Had an absolute, you know, blast of a time. It's one of my favorite Saturn games, so it's just been amazing. It's been a real, real treat. So, what about you? What what news uh, have you got, sir? Um, yeah, PRGE. So it was a bummer that you weren't able to come. Really, uh, we missed you a lot. But I know you you've got a new job. Congrats on that, and mm-hmm. you know priorities and everything, right? But um, no, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie. We were dog tired by the end of it. You know. And that's what happens when you, you're working a con rather than just being a guest at a con. And we were both, you know, so it's like we had to do the working a room, not just a booth, but like an entire room. And then also, you know, doing a panel and doing like meet and greets and running around and doing live shows. And we talked to the retro bit guys. That was really cool. We got to meet Seven Shades, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Really humble, really down to earth guy who's also an amazing developer, uh, made an awesome game, Cube Cat. Um, we got to, you know, show off a lot of homebrew and translations. We got to do net linking and, you know, virtual awning with the twin sticks, which was a lot of fun. We had kids in there who were like, you know, seven or eight years old who were digging it. You know, they were on the steering wheels with Daytona CE. And then you've got, we had people in there who were like close to 70, you know, it was crazy. So we ran the gamut of ages and it was yeah. just a lot of fun all around and, and everybody was super cool. It was a really good vibe. But yeah, no, I mean, it worked out, you know, and uh, what I learned is that, you know, you have your best laid plans, but things just don't always go according to plan. So you really just have to roll with the punches and do your best. Yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing that uh, looking at the photos from the event, it just looked very slick, like it was laid out where you can, you know, play around with some of the more common stuff, you know, gaze at some of the uh, obscure things or, you know, super rare type of um items and it was just it looked super well done so my hats off to all of you for an amazing amazing job yeah it was lightning in a bottle that's for sure i mean a lot of people even said that it was probably their highlight of the of the show i mean it and it was a phenomenal show i want to say like prge knocked it out of the park like for a comeback year you know Mm -hmm. not having done it for two years they brought it back bigger and better than than ever i mean there were there were fewer pinball machines from what i understand but there were still like 40 pinball machines but yeah. uh, from what i understand it's been like 60 or 70 in the past so you know but they had the tetris championships you know they, they just had a mm-hmm. bunch of arcade systems everything from stand-ups to you know sit down arcade units and then they had like several tables of every retro console you could possibly think of vectrex to you know and television and then the, the vendor floor was enormous and that was amazing too though i didn't really get to spend much time on the vendor floor because we were just working the whole time the panel was amazing. Um, I'm just so fortunate to have been able to do that and have so many people who were like genuinely interested in the Saturn, people who don't know anything about Saturn, but really wanted to know about it, you know, wanted to understand if it was something that they could get into, you know, 
So there was that. And then I was also really happy that we were able to get a Shiro magazine into Kelsey's hand, you know, from the Video Game History Foundation, because they went ahead and archived it in uh, California. They have a print archive of magazines and uh, game ephemera. And so the Shiro magazine is in that archive now. So that is amazing. That is, uh, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's Not to mention the fact that we sold every copy that we had. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of a little wrap on PRG. And as you guys can probably hear, I've lost my, I lost my voice at PRG and it hasn't completely come back. (laughs) So I'm going to do my best here. So we were talking, you know, it's October, close to Halloween. And I know other podcasts are doing, you know, spooky games or covering, you know, Halloween related topics, which, you know, we have quite a few. If you guys go back into the Shiro archive, you'll find we have quite a few Halloween episodes. But I think we agreed that nothing is scarier than the sheer amount of games that got canceled on Saturn. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, being a Saturn fan during the system's lifetime, you know, you, it seemed like you jumped from amazing game to amazing game that you and everybody else was waiting for that just didn't work out. And there were a number of these games and there were a number of these, uh, you know, reasons why these games got canceled and, you know, each and every time it was like our hearts got just a little bit more broken. So, yeah, during this episode, we're going to kind of dive back into some of those particular games that have been canceled and sort of the lead up to their cancellation and sort of the effect on us as, you know, Saturn gamers of the time, as well as, you know, the video game industry as a whole, I guess. So I think this is going to be a very fun topic. Um, and, yeah, I look forward to, to exploring this with you. Yeah, absolutely. We try not to do too much research on this cast. A lot of what we do is try to go based on memory. So we don't really focus on much of what we know in in hindsight, which a lot of YouTube videos do. You know, they'll they'll do huge documentaries with information um, about what we know, what everything we've learned in hindsight. But, you know, what you and I try to do is crystallize for folks that experience of being a Saturn fan in the 90s and what it felt like, you know, so we will give you guys some information about what we've learned in hindsight about these games. But for the most part, we're going to be talking from our memories and just um, giving you guys an idea of what it was like uh, with each of these games. And, and so the only real research that I did was basically to look up a list of games to see what exactly was canceled. And I can tell you, it was a long list. I really didn't pick out every game off of this list, just the high profile ones that like meant something to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was huge. Like the list of canceled games on Saturn was huge, you know, needless to say. So it's kind of sad to see just how many games were canceled. Sorrowful, totally sorrowful. Okay, so I know how we should kick this off. There's one game, there's one specific game that was canceled that pretty much overshadows every other game that was canceled, right, on the Saturn. And it's this game with a blue hedgehog, you know, it's because Mm. if you're a Sega fan, you know, the one thing that you maybe looked forward to on a new console was a Sonic game, like a quote unquote true Sonic game, you know mainline series game that would quash all doubts about, you know, whether Saturn could compete with like Nintendo 64 and Mario 64, right? You know, so um, let's talk about Sonic Extreme, you know, uh, this game that was not only in development for a long time, but was also um, teased, you know, over multiple magazine issues, you know, Uh, what was your impression of Sonic Extreme back in the day? So Sonic Extreme came at a time when like the Saturn had been out for roughly a year in North America, right? 
Yeah. And in that year or so, it had started to really take a kicking in the teeth from the PlayStation because mm. there were fewer games. The games that came out seemed to always be inferior to those on the PlayStation. You know, the PlayStation seemed to be getting, you know, more of the high profile games. There was just way more hype about it. And all of a sudden, it just looked like the Saturn was really falling behind. Mm-hmm. But then the announcement came that, you know what, Sonic Extreme is coming and that was even you know uh sort of lined up so that it would debut roughly around the time that nintendo 64 and mario 64 would come out so it just seemed like you know what this is it for all the kicking that sega took they know how to make games i mean the sonic games on the genesis the mega drive were some of the system's best like they you know they they had amazing physics the visuals were polished it just was it was just they were just amazing games and so to know that Sonic is going to be coming to Saturn. Just that announcement without any screenshots yet or any, you know, video footage of any gameplay or whatever. That was just like, okay, yes, here it is. Here it comes. Everything is going to be set right again. Everyone's going to see that, you know, maybe Sega had a rough few months sure with the Saturn, but everything was going to be get set right again. And so at the beginning for me, it was just, it was like hope. Okay. Yes, here we go. Let's do this. We got this. Let's go. Right. And then you're right, as time went on, that game got a ton of coverage in magazines. You know, it was featured in video form at some of the trade shows, you know, and the gameplay looked interesting. It had like this sort of fisheye lens type of uh, look to it. So it looked different. Um, and and well, so at least one of them did, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because the, the footage and screenshots that you would see would vary from mag to mag. Yes. Right? For sure. And I mean, I don't know about you, but at the time I didn't, I wasn't really cognizant of the fact that there were multiple teams trying to sort of put together multiple different versions of, of this game, you know? No. Yeah. So, which is why it was confusing when you'd see a screenshot that looked completely different to what you'd seen before. You'd be like, well, okay. So is this like a bonus level or something like that? You know, you, and yeah, you know, it made the cover of multiple magazines, you know what I'm saying? And it made like the, you know, Mario versus Sonic versus Crash Bandicoot, you know, who will win the console war, you know, and it was like Crash Bandicoot existed. It was there, you know, everybody knew, you know, and Mario, of course, was there, but Sonic was always kind of MIA. And and it was like in every one of those arguments, it's like, okay, we're talking hypothetically about this Sonic that will be, you know, this, this game that eventually at some point will be released, you know, but as time went on and the clock kept ticking and the Saturn kept looking a little bit not long for this world, then you started thinking, okay, like, well, is it coming or is it not, you know? And of course, like, I think you mentioned it in our Knights cast, the surprise and shock when Knights hit. And that was Sonic Team, you know? So you were thinking, okay, could they possibly be developing two games at the same time? Yes. But Knights came out and you're like, well, this is a Sonic team game, but where's Sonic, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know about you, but so I should ask, did you at the time know that it wasn't actually Sonic team that was working on Sonic Extreme? Not immediately, but after reading articles in like Next Generation and stuff like that, I caught wind of the fact that, you know, Sega Technical Institute had a hand. There were some other teams like you caught wind of the fact that it was being developed on both shores, that there was like a Japanese team working on some and then an American team working. And and as a kid back then, I kind of just figured that they were teaming up and, and, you know, working on like bonus levels and, and regular levels or whatever. You know, I didn't know that it was almost like 
competing teams, you know, to decide which yeah. one would actually. The fact is they had no idea how to make a Sonic game in 3D. That's yeah. the thing is Sonic, his bread and butter was going really fast. And those like blazing 2D pixel graphics, which even with the 32X and like was Sonic Chaos? Knuckles Chaos. Knuckles, Knuckles Chaotix. Um, that that game slowed down quite a bit because of the, the whole rubber banding feature. And uh, it seemed like they were already struggling to kind of figure out what else they could do with the genre. Mm-hmm. But then trying to move that into 3D, 32-bit consoles, just didn't have the power to do that kind of thing yet right you know to, to move that fast you know yes. no you're absolutely right I, I if that's something that at my age and I guess with my experience um, in gaming I, I should have recognized I would recognize that today but back then that would have been I don't think I would have grasped that hey you know a transition to 3d using Saturn technology may not really work out very well so I never made that connection at the time. Um, so, you know, again, it was just all hope. And I mean, it got to the point, like you said, it was all over the magazines It made the cover of several magazines. You know, everybody was expecting this game to just blow the lid off what the Saturn could do. Meanwhile, Knights comes out and it is by Sonic team, but it even got to the point, Dave, where, you know, mock-up cover art for Sonic Extreme started appearing in coming soon, 59.99, whatever. So like, Right. The game was coming until all of a sudden it, it wasn't. They kept trying to cash in on the goodwill, I guess, that they had sure. generated for years with Sonic and to cash in on the brand and the idea that a Sonic game would be coming, you know, because it, it's just one of the few tricks they had up their sleeve. You know, the truth is that Saturn wasn't doing well, as we all know, and they needed that game so badly. They really did. I mean, it's not the one thing that would have saved the Saturn, but it's certainly a big thing that not yes. having it yep. made such a difference. And it's true, you know, that uh, we have learned in, in subsequent years, you know, that like Chris Sen was working on one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Sonic Team and members of that team working on, you know, some of the code. They didn't like the stuff that the Americans were doing. There was a dude that who was working on a version just on his PC, you know, yep, and it, yep. and it was had all the assets that we would eventually see at E three ninety six, I believe it was, with this guy who was dressed up as Mario, you know. Yeah. It was a really cringy ad, but you know, it was basically the official commercial that you'd see the sizzle reel at E three that would show this fisheye lens engine, which was quite different to some of the demos that they'd shown off of the Sonic and Metal Sonic boss fight, you know, which mm-hmm. was kind of mm-hmm. also kind of like a fisheye lens, but a little bit different. It was just like a this like circular arena where Sonic would just run around and try to, you know, collect rings and then hit Metal Sonic, right? And and the thing is, it's just so you had so many different efforts. You had so many different uh so many different efforts, one even attempting to use Yuji Naka's Knight's engine, yes. you know, and of course yes. he got real butt hurt about that being used without his permission, you know, yeah. and uh, rather than, you know, swallowing his pride and taking one for the team to try to, you know, further Sega's fortunes, he dug in his heels and said, no, nobody's using my engine, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the game never saw the light of day. And uh, mm-hmm. it's no wonder why, because um, even subsequently, you know, we basically have been fortunate enough through fan efforts to play what was there. You know, um, XL2 gave us kind of like a reimagined, you know, remake of Sonic Extreme in the form of Sonic Z Dream. That took a lot of assets from that original game, but it was more just like traditional 3D. Yeah. It's a little janky. You know, it's a little like it's not realized, it's not fully realized, obviously, you know, as a game, you know, but. 
um, but it was a cool tech demo. And then he also rebuilt uh, the Metal Sonic boss fight. Yeah. That was like a one-to-one recreation, as far as I can tell. You know, I've only seen it in videos um, here and there. But, I mean, it looks and feels exactly like what I remember from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, most recently, Voxel uh, from the UK has uh, taken all of the assets from uh, that original Fisheye demo, which was just a PC-only thing, and ported it. I basically built out a Sonic uh, Extreme demo on Saturn, runs on real hardware, and it looks great. Uh, it's got a lot of little bugs and, and technical things that need to be ironed out. But I mean, it's it, it is quite a showpiece. And, and I don't know if you've played it, Peter. Have you have you gotten a chance to play the, the most recent? Um, the last one that I got to play was the uh, the boss fight. Uh, the knack, the, the weasel. Yes, that's right. Yes. You, you play, so you played the one with Knack, the Weasel. Okay, so yeah. So would you not agree that it's just all over the place, you know, in terms of like, yes, from a graphic standpoint and just like, okay, this is all, this is really neat. Like the Saturn is doing this, but from a cohesive, you know, gaming experience. Definitely. You know, that's one thing that Knights and Mario did really, really well is behind the flash and the visuals and everything else was was simple yet solid, well thought out gameplay. And that has been right. lacking in anything Sonic Extreme related that I have tried out. You know what I mean? Right. It, like the focus was on this needs to be 3D, it needs to, you know, whatever, but but the gameplay was was shallow. That there just wasn't any you weren't able to do as much as you could with Sonic in 2D. Right. So Yeah. Yes, know. exactly. Like the gra- gravity doesn't really mean a whole bunch <laughs> in this <laughs> game. <laughs> Uh, there are no like clear boundaries that will hold you right. onto the level, Precisely. you know, yeah. um, you could fall into the abyss infinitely and have to restart. It's an amazing tech demo. And yet at the same time, it is not a, a completely realized game, you know, in, in any form, you know, and it, it needs that. It really needs that. And of course, it's a real struggle, too, because Sonic is supposed to go fast, you know, so it can't just be a slow plodding mm-hmm. platformer like take Cube Cat. CubeCat is probably one of the best controlling platformers I've ever seen for the Saturn or any, arguably any console. Double jumps are great. Control is just very nuanced and you don't end up falling off platforms. He he goes up in the air kind of like a jumping flash, you know, kind of oh, takes yeah, the camera yeah. up in the air when you do a jump so that you can really land properly where you want to. All that is very thought out and it runs great, but it's this tiny little cat moving really slow, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it comes to Sonic, you want him to move fast, you know? And so I can understand why building this like fisheye thing with like swoops and curves and stuff and Sonic's just bouncing around like a pinball makes sense. But it's such a disorienting and discombobulating experience at the end of the day that, you know, it's like we've all seen this stuff and 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 gone, you know, yeah, it's probably better that it didn't come out, <laughs> you know, yep, because yep. it just wasn't there. And then finally, they figured it out with Sonic Adventure. Love it or hate it. You know, I mean, people feel differently about Sonic Adventure, especially in hindsight, you know, after it's aged for, you know, a couple decades. But the fact is, they did get the speed, you know, with Sonic Adventure. They put him on a track in several areas. They had the killer whale coming after him. They were they were able to get that speed going with the Dreamcast. You know, it had the yep. processing power to do that. But yeah, the Saturn. Can you think of any Saturn game that you know of that moves quickly? That like mm-hmm. really moves fast in 3D? Yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, hmm. quick 3D. I mean, the racing games. 
to some extent. Yeah, to an extent, but they've got an extremely defined path, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, that is not synonymous with Sonic because there is still some exploration behind Sonic. Otherwise, it would be awfully shallow. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking like Wipeout, you know, it moves pretty quickly at times, you know, and I'm just thinking if there was like some kind of verticality, some kind of platforms that Sonic would have to jump up while he's moving forward. Or he would get like, you know, set back and lose a lose some rings, you know, if he bumped into something. But I mean, again, like I would not want to have been the guy who had to figure out how to do that, you know, because it was oh, like yeah. at least most most folks have accepted by now that Sonic really works great in 2D. But yes. arguably it doesn't work as good in 3D. You know, yeah, you, you can have success to a degree. But I mean, like Sonic Mania is my favorite sonic games subsequent to the originals you know like mm-hmm. uh, up mm-hmm. to Knuck- sonic and knuckles you know because it captures what was great about the original sonic games rather than like working against it and trying to shoehorn a to him into, into like some kind of world, new gameplay right? yeah yeah no i couldn't agree more okay so to so to wrap up with sonic extreme it's funny you mentioned that sonic extreme if it had come out, it would have potentially made a significant difference in the Saturn's fortunes. And I tend to agree. It'd be, the, it'd be like if in if Japan, it had been good, <laughs> no, but imagine <laughs> yeah. if, if in Japan, virtual fighter never happened, you know, like that's the effect right. I think Sonic extreme not coming out had in the North American market. Oh, right. You know right. what I mean? Like it was right. It, it was the big deal and it just fell apart. So I'm curious, like at what point did you find out that it was canceled? How did you feel? Like what was kind of going through your mind? Well, first of all, you stopped hearing about it in magazines for a while. And it was like, what happened to Sonic Extreme? And then I think it was just, uh, I read it in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. You know, Sonic Extreme is not coming. Mm-hmm. And I mean, by that time, Things weren't looking great for Saturn anyway, so I was just like cynically not surprised, basically, mm-hmm. but uh, but also still let down, you know. But I mean, by that time, I'd already had nights, and I was like, "Well, I like this better than Sonic <laughs> anyway." If I'm being honest, you know, yeah. I mean, Sonic lovers may hate me for saying that, but like, I, I love Sonic. Like, I love the first Sonic game, and I do love Sonic Two. But I kind of started falling off with like you know being super into Sonic. Uh, towards you know sonic 3 and knuckles even though people some people say those are the best games you know i'm just mm-hmm. i i i'd had my fill and knights was just a breath of fresh air for me you know right yeah no it was it was relatively similar for me at first it was like okay why the silence where is this game and then quietly it was announced okay game is on hold you know canceled indefinitely whatever and to me it was a bitter pill to swallow it was horrendously disappointing and whereas when the you know Sega CD and especially 32X had come out and and been sh- abandoned fairly quickly afterwards, and folks were saying you know Sega's just kind of blowing it, they're they're not doing what they should be doing, they're taking their fans for granted. I was kind of still there defending Sega. No, you know what? Sega CD is great. 32X, not very many titles, but I love them. Blah blah blah. But when Sonic Extreme got canceled, to me it was like, okay, what are you guys doing? Like get yeah. together, like. Even me, you know, teenager as I was, could tell that this was just bad PR, if anything else. So, so yeah, it yeah. Was pretty pretty bitter pill to swallow. Yes, today now in hindsight and in retrospect, the fact that the game didn't come out was probably a good thing. In my opinion, it could have potentially been sort of like a wipeout situation where you know the game comes out and it's nowhere near as good as 
you know the games it's competing against right done more damage to the brand than any it could have done damage right you know, because so, they would have because that's the game that everyone would have bought you know yes. like yep. not by everyone i mean like majority of people would have bought it on the name alone and then if it had been that bad oh my god like kids would have been just laughing the yes. saturn to its grave you know on the on the schoolyard and stuff like that you know so it's almost like by kind of keeping it this myth this legend that everyone thought existed you know behind closed doors but they didn't see it was like they couldn't you know put it down they couldn't you know talk trash about it yet because it didn't exist yeah. but yeah, yeah it's so it, it's a complicated situation for sure probably one of the most complicated developments uh, of any game you know and I will link for you guys in the notes two resources where you can play XL2's uh, Metal Sonic Battle, which I feel is very true to the original. And then, of course, Voxel's Sonic Extreme uh, demo uh, with like six playable levels. And it's got the Knack Battle and it's all in that fisheye lens style. So uh, so you guys can kind of see for yourself what it would have been like if it had mm -hmm. come out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, you mentioned and it, this is interesting. You mentioned imagine what it would have been like if Virtua Fighter hadn't come out in Japan, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was such a huge game, right? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because there was another game that was in development by Sega Technical Institute called Eternal Champions. Um, Eternal Champions, the final chapter. And it's interesting because um, it does have some relation to Virtual Fighter in that Sega of Japan basically shut it down, forcefully canceled it um, because they felt that it would cannibalize the sales of Virtual Fighter. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because... Japanese gamers didn't really care for the Eternal Champions flavor of fighting games anyway. And American gamers didn't really care for Virtua Fighter, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's so funny, you know, they should have just let it happen because, uh, you know, here they thought, oh, Virtua Fighter is the best thing ever and the Americans are going to love it, you know? But, um, and I talked to Mel Sega Lord X about this a little bit ago, that it was just, it is a great game. And for those who understand it, it's a thinking man's fighter, but it's just very short on like bells and whistles and flashy, you know, like yeah. Soul Calibur would go on to be much more successful with American audiences because of all the weapons and weird combos and stuff like that. But I mean, it was about that time that the Americans were getting into stuff like Tekken, you know, and um, Bloody Roar and so games where you either turned into an animal or yeah. <laughs> you had some crazy combo, or, you know, or you were doing some kind of lightning kick or something like that. That's what it was all about, you know. So what do you think about Eternal Champions? Can you say anything about it? Well, I mean, I remember the Genesis original getting some significant coverage in the press, right? right? And then the Sega CD uh, sequel or, you know, extended version, whatever you want to call it, came out. And it was really mm -hmm. good. It was really well received. Mm -hmm. um, and it mm -hmm. was a late late release on the Sega CD. And then on the box of, uh, you know, the first uh, Saturns that shipped in North America eternal champions was featured, yeah, the screenshot. right yeah it had a exactly. screenshot uh on it and so it and it was you know subtitled the final chapter and it seemed like a no-brainer to put it out right. there now this wasn't a franchise that i was really all that into at the time so right. it you know it didn't impact me too too much but I, I I know it got some coverage in the press that, okay, you know, this is coming on the Saturn. It's going to be great, whatever. And then very quickly, it just, it just vanished. It was gone, mm -hmm. never to be mentioned again. And that is a shame. I think to your point, you know, a similar situation uh, could have developed where if both titles were released, then, you know, in Japan, it would have been Virtua Fighter in North America. It would have been uh, Eternal Champions. I don't think that 
this cannibalization of sales would have happened at all. I think that was a miss, a missed call by, uh, by Sega. But I mean, here we are. It's just, it's such right. a shame because it would have been, you know, a North America developed title that would have done well in North America. And exactly. Went. So a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Uh, you know, and it's one of those games where if there is any code, if there is any builds of it, you know, they cert- they haven't materialized, not even in like forums or like, mm-hmm. you know, hushed whispers on the Internet. This exists. You know, the funny thing is we've seen a lot of leaked builds of games and stuff like that, you know, on the Saturn. And th- those have ended up on Hidden Palace or yep. different different places on the Internet. But I mean, Eternal Champions is one of those almost Holy Grail level uh, games that if, you know, if we ever found it, people would be ecstatic. Um, But yeah, no, it it hasn't, uh, hasn't shown up all these years later. Uh, Who knows if, if, you know, a build exists and how far along it was. But I mean, again, it's a shame that it's just one of those things where it wasn't a casualty to the Saturn's failure on the market. It was literally something that was forced to close down. Like we're shutting you down because we don't, want to have to compete with this, you know? Yeah. And that's a shame, you know, because a, a lot of artwork and a lot of purposeful design went into that. And for that to just be basically shot dead and swept under the carpet uh, is is a shame, really, you know? Yeah. You know, if we stick with, with uh, the virtual fighter phenomenon, obviously the first game sold the Saturn in, you know, bucket loads in Japan. And the second one had a significant impact too, obviously in Japan and even in North America, at least so far as it went, you know, some ways to show, hey, look, the Saturn can do, you know, really awesome, fluid, high resolution 3D. So both important games, but, you know, Virtua Fighter 3 was also scheduled for Saturn release and that just never happened. This is true. Even as an American, I can honestly say, Virtua Fighter was always impressive in the arcade, mm-hmm. you know? It was likely that if you walked up to a Virtua Fighter cabinet and you popped a quarter in, that somebody might join you, you know, in the arcade. At home, though, my little brother was kind of, like, really into fighting games, a lot more than mm-hmm. I was, right? We uh, we were we were both into, like, Mortal Kombat and stuff like that, but when it got, got into, like, the 32-bit generation, he was much more into fighting games. And by that time, I was I'd, into RPGs and stuff like that, you know? Um, but, you know... He kind of, I feel, represents the the mass market, you know, uh, of, you know, liking games like Tekken 3, you know, really the flashier, the fighter, the better, you know. Yeah. So he, I, you know, he was interested in games like Fighting Vipers, you know, and Fighters Megamix. I could kind of get him interested in that because he saw the appeal. But yeah, when, when, when it came to like plain old vanilla Virtua Fighter, you know, it was just a harder sell. Um, but Virtua Fighter 3 was an amazing game in the arcades. It looked phenomenal. And when I saw it in the arcades, I thought, there's just, I love the Saturn, but I just don't see any way that they can make this happen on the Saturn, yep. you know, right? Yep. But then you'd see screenshot. Then you'd see in magazines, Virtual Fighter 3, Yu Suzuki is going to bring it to the Saturn using some kind of, a, you know, <laughs> extra pep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to use this, you know, card that's developed by Lockheed Martin or, or whatever, you know, you had uh, 3D Labs, yeah. you know. Because we know a lot in hindsight, right? You know, and we're able to kind of disambiguate all of this. But back then, it was incredibly confusing because you actually had different companies working on uh, these accelerator options, you know, for the Saturn, and it was hard to keep them straight. 
you know, as a kid reading magazines, you'd read about one article where it was, you know, a military contractor who was working on this technology. And then you'd read another article that was like uh, 3D labs or was it the the voodoo card guys? I, I forget. But uh, but basically you had like different companies working on these uh, 3D accelerator cards. And uh, what what was your take on that? I mean, ha- being a big magazine guy. So, okay. So let me just back up a little bit. So E396, Sega's largest screen in their booth continually played a non-playable uh, sort of attract mode demo right. of Virtua Fighter 3 arcade. And it was light years ahead of, you know, visually of anything else at that show, period. Period, so yeah. this was, you know, bleeding edge technology at the time. And, you know, I, you know, every single magazine at the time commented on it on, you know, the Virtua Fighter 3 uh, video mm-hmm. um, from, from things like, you know, looking at the different fighters as their eyes tracked the camera, you know, as the camera moved and how they, you know, would, would crack a knowing smile and look at the camera every now and again, as they went through their routines. Anyways, it was, it was just phenomenal. And so Tom Kalinske at the time at that E3 made the announcement. Yeah, this is Virtua Fighter 3. It's the most advanced, this, that, and the other. And it is coming to the Saturn. Mm-hmm. And then true to what you said, you know, not too long after you, Suzuki, said, you know, I personally take responsibility. Me and my team are going to bring this over to the Saturn. Mm-hmm. But even then, uh, folks didn't 100% get caught up in the hype it was too obvious to see that there was like way too big of a leap between what the Saturn was pumping out right. and what people were able to see of Virtua Fighter 3 Arcade. Like it was just too great of a jump. So right, right away there was speculation, you know, is it going to use some sort of accelerator cartridge or whatever? And that's what it seemed to, what, what opinion at the time seemed to sort of coalesce around was that it, the game would ship as a CD with some sort of a cartridge that would boost, you know, graphic processing right. capability of the Saturn or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I I don't recall ever seeing a quote from anybody such as you, Suzuki, confirming that that is the case, other than, you know, we're exploring different options, you know, some sort of an accelerated cartridge is one way that we could do this or whatever. So it was kind of not there. back in the day, you didn't. Subsequently, we've had interviews with Yu Suzuki confirming an accelerator board. But you're saying that back in the day, you don't you don't remember him. There was no official confirmation that that's what was going to be done. That's right. There was speculation, and I think you know, I think that a lot of that speculation just came from the fact that you know, folks knew that the Saturn couldn't do Virtua Fighter three right. in any way that resembled what what people were seeing in the arcade. So. So they made the the logical leap that there would have to be some sort of a accelerated cartridge of some kind. Mm-hmm. But again, this was for me as a Saturn gamer at the time, it was another case of, okay, we're going to leapfrog, you know, the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64. Cause the Saturn at that point had started to be seen as an also ran, right? Like a third option, really. Like if you've got the first two main consoles, maybe then you can allow yourself to uh, get a Saturn, but but this was going to be the game that once again would be a game changer. And it was announced to to be released in 1997. You know, 1997 came and went. And by then, you know, we were heavily into the rumors of, of Dreamcast. So it was Black Belt, Katana, you know, the two competing 
companies, one in Japan, one in, in North America that were working on the successor to the Saturn. Right. And all this time it's like, well, where's Virtua Fighter three? What's happening with Virtua Fighter three? And, and again, you know, it just kind of eventually it got announced that it would be headlining the new system. Right. And so what happened to the Saturn version, you know, but all in 1997, I would say like all of 1997, it was talked about. And I mean, yes. you'd, you'd, yes. it's kind of confusing because my impression back in the day was that black belt was the name of one of the accelerator cards, or at least, you know, at least one mm. attempt at, at, at accelerating the Saturn, you know, squeezing more life out of it. Another thing you'd, you'd hear talked about was 64 X, <laughs> you know, like they didn't know what to call it. So they were just like, okay, it's going to be 64 X, you know? And of course, you know, that's not a great thing to say because the 32 X did so well. Right. <laughs> we saw, yes. we saw how that did. So we're like, okay, is this just going to be another like non-supported hardware add on that we're going to have to shell out for? And then they're going to cancel the system shortly after that didn't do anything positive for publicity, you know? Yep. But yeah, it was either they were going to make a very trimmed down version of Virtual Fighter 3 that was basically just Virtual Fighter 2 with a new skin and it would just be more of the same. Uh, but if they wanted to do anything close to what was done in Virtual Fighter 3, they would really need to have that extra processing power. And of course, it was sad because at this point, you know, Saturn was still pumping out some of the most amazing 2D games that have ever been released, but nobody cared back then. Unfortunately, That's the sad thing, yes. people care in yeah. hindsight, people love it, accept it for what it is, love all the 2D games that and, and of course, most of those 2D games have aged much better than all that early 3D stuff, you know, unless you happen to unironically love, you know, the early janky 3D, which I do <laughs> raise my which hand I do here. Too, absolutely. But, uh, but again, like what I'm just saying is just just objectively speaking, a lot of those 2D games were the pinnacle, you know, versus mm -hmm. the beginning of, you know, what represents the 3D. beginning of, of 3D. But nobody cared about the, the 2D stuff back then, uh, unless you were just like really into, you know, import Japanese, you know, Saturn games. Yep. Um, the general public didn't care. So it was really just this focus of we've got to do 3D better. You know, we've got to yep. compete on this play field because N64 and, and PlayStation are both bringing it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so it, lots of confusing, lots of conflicting information that have generated multiple YouTube mini docs <laughs> that yeah. have given people yeah. plenty of fodder to try to uh, disambiguate everything over the years. But back then, literally what you knew was what you were drip fed through the magazines. And a lot of it was just a bunch of conflicting information, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I will say it took a long time for Virtua Fighter 3 Saturn to be officially canceled. A long time. Yes. So even though, you know, we were hearing nothing from you, Suzuki, or from Sega or whatever, um, you know, it, it was months and months and months that the game just stayed on the release schedule and... Um, and not even not even Sega Japan or Yu Suzuki smartly confirmed that uh, that the game was being canceled. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, it was important to keep it on the release schedule, maybe from a sales perspective, especially in Japan or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it took a while. Um, the other bit that's always been interesting to me is for the 1998 Japanese Dreamcast launch. Uh, where Virtua Fighter 3, you know, was, uh, I can't remember if it was a launch title. I don't think it was, but it came out shortly thereafter. It was not ported by AM2. Team Battle. Yeah, 3TB. Yeah, Virtua Fighter 3 Team Battle, but it was not ported by AM2. Right. And so there were even rumors and speculation at the time that whereas it was Genki that ported Virtua Fighter 3 Tag Battle to the Dreamcast, 
it was rumored that at the same time, AM2 were still working on Virtua Fighter 3 for the Saturn, mm. you know, and so for many years, there's been rumor and speculation that Virtua Fighter 3 Saturn was almost, if not completely finished, mm-hmm. but it was quietly shelved because at that point, Sega did want folks to buy Virtua Fighter 3 and the Dreamcast as opposed to sinking money into right. into a platform that was on its way out. So it's just, it's a story, it's a, that game has such an interesting history to me. Yeah. You know, and at this point, it's very difficult to tell what of that if any of it was true or if, you know, but it, there was just a whole lot of smoke around there. And sometimes where there's smoke, there's some fire, right? So, right. So potentially there could have been something there, but yes, Virtua Fighter three on Saturn is definitely to me, it stands out as the story of the accelerator cartridge that right. never ended up being. And, you know, I mean, there were screenshots that floated around that claimed to be Virtua Fighter three running on Saturn, though in subsequent years, uh, there have been, plenty of people that have said that's not really virtual fighter running on saturn it's it's running on some emulator or some yes. you know it, it's a, yeah. it's and they look pretty janky or, or either they're either they were doctored down to kind of look you know low res or whatever or they were just you know early versions of virtual fighter 3 running on work in progress arcade hardware or whatever but i don't think anybody has actually found any real Virtua Fighter 3 screenshots that they can claim without a doubt are running on Saturn. But what we do have, uh, because when Yu Suzuki went to China to research fighting moves for Virtua Fighter 3 and to research cultural designs and music for the game, he was inspired by an idea to take the key character, Akira, Mm -hmm. and give him some kind of story, you know, give him some kind of side story. And that, of course, would inspire a new game idea that he had that would also require extra horsepower from the Saturn in order to make this idea possible, you know? And we do have actual footage of this game running, Shenmue running on some build of the Saturn. I think we can all agree that the footage that we have seen subsequently included in like the Dreamcast version of Shenmue 2 and also in the Microsoft's uh, Xbox release we can agree that this footage is not running on a stock Saturn, <laughs> but it is running on real Saturn hardware. And it's been confirmed by Yu Suzuki in subsequent interviews and his GDC conference in 2014 that it was running on a real Saturn uh, using some kind of an accelerator board. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, and, and and it's amazing because it goes all the way up until Guilin, you know, which is basically like how far it went on the Dreamcast, you know, uh, what we got in Shenmue 2 on the Dreamcast, you know? Yeah. But again, like that footage blew me away when I saw it in the Xbox re-release of Shenmue 2 because I had not seen that back in the day, like in any magazines or anything like that. When I saw that, I was like, oh, damn, they they got far with this. Like they they actually made Shenmue all the way up through Guilin, you know? And it was like, looks like it might have been a playable game, you know? But of course, you know, by that time, Saturn was dead and they were just like, we can't release this game on a platform that's basically dead. (laughs) We have to remake it and and try to launch it for a platform that's hopefully going to be much more successful. Yeah, see, to me, Shenmue on the Saturn is probably the greatest canceled game that nobody at the time knew knew about. about. Yes. It's something that only came out. They kept it such a secret. Yes. I can honestly say that back in the day, I did hear or read something about an Akira 
RPG, you know, virtual fighter RPG, right? You'd hear whispers about that, but that's it. That's all you would get is, okay, there's it, this idea exists. They're looking into it They're there, but you had no idea how far it was. You had no idea whether it was just vapor by this time we were all very skeptical, you know, I mean, because of things like Sonic extreme, you just learn to be skeptical and you were like, okay, this either exists or it doesn't exist, but we've got nothing to go off of, you know? Yep. Versus something like Eternal Champions, where the screenshot's on the back of the box, you know, and you're yep. just like, okay, this should be coming, you know, and then it doesn't, you know. But yeah, like with with Shenmue, I'd never even heard of the game until we were preparing for the Dreamcast. And it was like going to be this amazing multi-million dollar break all sorts of records in development. And it's going to use a weather system and all this great stuff. And of course, I can tell you, I love Shenmue on the Dreamcast. It, one of my favorite games, love it or hate it, you know, I mean, for what it does, it, it did something different, you know, brought us, you know, sandbox gaming and yep. mundane dialogue and gaming and stuff like that, you know. But I mean, just the idea that they were doing that on Saturn, you know, it just blows my mind. But again, there's not much that Peter and I could say about this when it comes to memories from back in the day. Because again, everything we know about Shenmue on Saturn is pretty much stuff we've learned in hindsight. It is yep. this rare case of of a game that they just kept so secret. Yep. No, and that's true. And then just the last thing maybe I'll add on that topic is, you know, at the time that Shenmue Saturn would have been in development, it would have been 97, 98. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the feeling in gaming in North America at the time was we really moved away from the Saturn then. Then it became a two-horse race between the Nintendo 64 and, and Sony's PlayStation. And nobody really cared what was going on with Sega anymore at that right. time. Mm-hmm. With the exception of, I guess, the arcade scene. But but yeah, so so that probably contributed to... You know, nobody really hearing about Shenmue Saturn or or even Virtua Fighter RPG or Akira, uh, Akira RPG or whatever it may have been called because people had just moved on. You know what I mean? Right, it right. It wasn't a headline anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's the reason or maybe that's just a factor, who knows? But yeah, at the end of the day, if anything, Shenmue is probably the greatest Saturn game that was canceled that nobody knew about at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it that's that's how it lives in my memory anyway. Right. What I will say, though, is that one thing we know is like a recurring theme throughout the Saturn, arguably Dreamcast, but throughout the Saturn's life is is this internal struggle between SOA and SOJ. Uh, Sega of America wanted to do things their way, wanted to make their kinds of games. Sega of Japan wanted to do things their way. And um, what we do know is that there were multiple attempts. There was an attempt on the American side to make a hardware acceleration for the Saturn. And there was an attempt on the Japanese side. And on the Japanese side, it was called Project Guppy, uh, which was also an early code name for Shenmue. Um, and and this is mentioned in a video that Sega published themselves on their own YouTube channel. You know, they have like a hardware history of, of Saturn, you know, and also Yu Suzuki himself in the GDC 2014 postmortem. Uh, so he refers to Shenmue, the software, you know, Shenmue on Saturn being codenamed Project Guppy. And then uh, the guys at Sega refer to the Saturn having a 3D hardware accelerator called Project Guppy. So there was like a hardware and a software component. So when it existed on Saturn, when it was in development on Saturn, it was referred to as Project Guppy. And then, of course, when they refocus their efforts toward the Dreamcast, the Katana or whatever. It changed names to Project Berkeley. And that's when I we started hearing about it because we started hearing buzzwords like Katana and, you know, subsequently Dreamcast and Project Berkeley, you know. Yes. This Project Berkeley was going to be 
phenomenal, you know? And then of course, finally we got this Shenmue, Shenmue. <laughs> We're like, what is this? Yeah. How do I pronounce this? But, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. It's still shrouded in a lot of mystery because there's still a lot that we don't know. Yeah. We know a lot more than we used to, but still like I'm waiting for the day when, uh, some kind of a build goes public, you know, yeah. or at least somebody shows it off, right? Because we know that it exists. We we've seen it running, yes. you know, in at least in a video. Yes. And so, if there's anybody listening to this podcast of ours that has information or has their hands on any sort of build of Saturn Shenmue, you know, this is something that that really needs to be released to the community. We're long past the age where anything but the most sort of hardcore fans of of the Saturn are going to care about this or if Shenmue, I should say too. Um, so yeah, it'd yeah. be, it'd be great to have this sort of hit the light of day, but I want to switch gears now, Dave, to another game that to a, to a, to a very small degree got tied up in this whole accelerator cartridge rumor and, and sort of, you know, mystery. Okay. And that is Tomb Raider two. Oh, so the very first Tomb Raider, of course, first came out on Saturn and eventually on the PlayStation, and it just became a phenomenal worldwide success, right? I mean, Lara Croft became, you know, the gaming babe of the '90s, if you want to call it that. And it's true, it was, and it was a great game. It's a it's a really really good game. Uh, did a lot of new things uh, for the first time, and did a lot of them really really well. So mm-hmm. so phenomenal game, and inevitably you knew that a sequel was coming because the game was just so huge. Mm-hmm. And of course, Tomb Raider Two was announced for both the PlayStation and the Saturn. And for quite some time, you know, it was reported that yeah, the game is being built and everything like that. And eventually, of course, the game got canceled. And we went through these phases of reasons of why the game was canceled. Um, But the first one, and the reason I'm tying all this back to an accelerated cartridge, is the first one was, well, the Saturn just can't actually handle it. Right. But apparently, the folks at Core were shown some of the early work that Yu Suzuki and team were doing with an accelerator cartridge, and that kind of made them... Uh, and again, this is, you know, going off of some some stuff in British magazines that this made the folks at Core reconsider and that Tomb Raider 2 may have been coming out on the Saturn via some sort of acceleration cartridge or what have you. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know none of that happened, but but that's the tie in from from Virtua Fighter 3. So let's talk Tomb Raider 2 thoughts, memories. Any did you have any anticipation for the game? So we were uh, PlayStation and Saturn household, mm-hmm. and I would say PlayStation got to live down in the living room. You know, PlayStation got prime time. You know, uh, in my household. So the Saturn lived in my bedroom, and that was my thing. And I was the crazy one. My dad would be like, "What are you playing, man? That console sure is weird." <laughs> like, you know, I was like, and, and again, it was like my brother. I would you know rope him along and try to you know convince him of the greatness of Saturn, right? But it was pretty much the PlayStation that got uh, most of the attention in our household. And yes, I played Tomb Raider 2 probably the week that it came out. My dad picked it up. He was just my dad was buying games as they came out back then, you know, uh, and very much dialed into everything that was happening on the PlayStation. So, yeah, I thought it was amazing. I wasn't really playing it myself. The Tomb Raider games required um, really accurate platforming skills. You know, they really... They weren't that easy to to control, but it was they were always amazing watching somebody else who who knew how to do it well, you know. So I would kind of sit there and watch my dad play 
And I just marveled at the, you know, Venice waterways and like the jumping for, what was it from a helicopter into the ravine or something, yep. you know, there, so there was so much and, and it really, those levels had a lot of scope, you know, they were much more open rather than claustrophobic, you know? And so I guess that could beg the question of whether the Saturn would be up to the challenge, but I think that it would have been fine. It really just comes down to um, good programmers. You know, if Team Andromeda had been making it, I'm sure it would have been fine, you know, but uh, not everybody was Team Andromeda, you know? Um, So yeah, you know, heard, I heard about Tomb Raider 2 coming out for both PlayStation and Saturn. Um, I was excited enough about it, you know, um, thought it would be great. And then, of course, then all of a sudden it wasn't coming out for the Saturn. And um, I know more subsequently than I did back then. I didn't realize that there was any kind of uh, less than honest. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't mean to throw accusations or throw shade, but it's been pretty much confirmed that it was kind of an exclusivity deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, can you talk about that? So, yes. Yeah, so that ultimately did come out and I was aware of it at the time, but that was sort of at the end of the line. So at first, oh, the Saturn couldn't do it. They couldn't, ha- it couldn't handle it, you know, and then, oh, maybe accelerator cartridge, which of course didn't pan out either. And eventually, uh, actually, to be honest, I don't know if it, it must've come out at the time, because I remember when the first Tomb Raider hit Dreamcast, it was publicized at the time that Sony's exclusivity with the Tomb Raider franchise ran out at the end of December of 1999. And so right. they couldn't release it on Dreamcast until the year 2000. Right. So it must have been known at the time. I don't recall if I was actually aware that the ultimate reason that Tomb Raider 2 never hit the Saturn was that Sony threw buckets of money at core and locked them down for exclusivity. Right. Um, but yeah, but this was another bitter pill for me to swallow mm-hmm. because in the screenshots of Tomb Raider two, that was in development and, and whether they were screenshots of Saturn or PlayStation doesn't matter. But unlike virtual fighter three, what I was seeing was not something that I right away thought, Oh, this can't be done on Saturn. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was like, okay, sure. You know, it's the, the geometry and the graphics are, you know, a little bit further ahead than they were in Tomb Raider 1, but they weren't the quantum leap that made me think, oh, there, there's no way this can't be happening. So right. So I held out hope. I was like, yeah, you know what? Tomb Raider 1 came out and it was a smashing success, even on the Saturn, you know? Mm-hmm. So this game is going to come out. I'm sure it is. And and then it just kind of didn't, you know? Right. Um, I, I will say, though, that Tomb Raider 2 was one of the first games I bought for the, the PlayStation, PlayStation when I finally purchased one, right? And I have to admit I was disappointed with it. Right. It was nowhere near as good, in my opinion, as the first game was. Right. The first game, to me, had a lot of sort of, like, mystery behind it, and, you know, you're exploring ancient tombs. It was very solitary. You, you very rarely fought other human beings. Mm-hmm. It was mostly, like, you know, traps and puzzles Bears. and wild animals and <laughs> yeah. dinosaurs, whatever, right? Like it had a very sort of yeah. Indiana Jones feel to it. And Tomb Raider 2 seemed more of like a mafia adventure. Yes, it was like a 007. You know, it was like, yes. So right. Tomb Raider was woman Indiana Jones, right? You know, trying to escape the temple. It's, you know, all these traps and stuff like that, you know. And then like Tomb Raider 2 had more of a 007 kind of vibe. You know what I'm saying? So they kind of went in a different direction. But Tomb Raider 1 had the benefit of just being completely original like doing something new for the first time and so that can't be understated like how much of an impact that made whether you played it on the pc or you played it on the saturn or playstation it was just 
It was a new experience. I would say kind of like Doom, you know, like Doom was like, yes, there was like Wolfenstein before it, but I mean, Doom came out and it was just like, holy crap, like what it like, it was crazy, you know, and it was such a smashing success because it did something like visceral and, and it was just in your face and the music and everything like that. And, and tons of, you know, first person shooters came after it and, and had varying degrees of success, but it really did something new for the first time. And Tomb Raider was like one of those big, big box PC games in your face, high profile game that was just like a phenomenal success, you know? Um, and of course they, they always try to repeat that success, you know, and they have <laughs> varying success repeating that success. Yep, yep. But, you know, yeah. I was definitely impressed with the the graphics and everything and you know, kind of the narrative of it on the PlayStation. But again, I really can only speak from a backseat driver kind of perspective of, you know, sitting on the couch watching somebody else play it, you know, because uh, I've only mm-hmm. actually played through a few levels of the game myself, but I've watched it beaten, you know, by by someone else. So um, I can say that I was impressed by it, but definitely I don't feel like it couldn't have been done on Saturn, you know, and actually, no. um, we know now that, that it can be done on Saturn because, uh, if you guys check out a YouTube channel by the name JR Tomb Raider, uh, they are running the game on Saturn. Uh, there are, yeah, it's being backported using the Tomb Raider one engine, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, t- Tomb so. Raider one engine test. Yeah. And they're doing, uh. And they're getting it running, and actually, what I can see here looks quite good. Um, it does; it is a little grainy. It does have that kind of like dark, uh, you know, three D that Saturn renders that we're all kind of familiar yeah. with. But yeah. I mean, there you go. Leave it to the fans, you know, to make something a reality. Just like Voxel uh, and XL Two made Sonic Extreme a reality on Saturn. Uh, here, you we have another fan in the community making Tomb Raider a reality. Yeah, and you know, just to echo that. Even looking back, I'm sure that the Tomb Raider 1 Saturn engine could be tightened and optimized and and whatever. So, you know, to me, Tomb Raider 2 was definitely not something that would be inconceivable to to sort of run properly on on the Saturn. And that, I think, is what kept my hope going Mm -hmm. uh, for several months there as the game was in development that, yeah, this is going to this is going to come out. It's it's going to happen. It's going to be another huge Saturn game. Um, and you know, I was at that point, like in 97, I was kind of at the point where I accepted that, okay, the Saturn is, is losing mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. fight in the console wars. It's not going to win. Mm-hmm. It is going to therefore receive fewer games, but so long as it received the Sega games, which of course, that's the only platform that would receive them. And so long as it received sort of the biggest hits of, of the third party titles, I was okay with that, right. you know? So um, so the fact that Tomb Raider 2 was coming out on the Saturn, it may not be as flashy as on the PlayStation, but that, that was okay to me. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, it being canceled and then there were all these rumors about, okay, Saturn can't do it. And then, oh yeah. Okay. It's back on, on the, on the table because of the accelerated cartridge. Mm-hmm. And Virtua Fighter 3 kind of went dark. So what's happening to the cart? Anyway, it just, it was this snowball of like, what's going on until eventually, you know, it was going to be a PlayStation and PC only release and that stung as a saturn gamer that really stung for sure interestingly enough there's another sequel that uh was supposed to come out on the saturn that the developers at least came forward and they used the whole you know it can't run on saturn saturn's not powerful enough to do it 
uh, as their excuse. I don't think it was any kind of exclusivity deal, although you never know. Uh, at least that hasn't come to light, you know, but I wouldn't put anything past Sony. <laughs> but Resident <laughs> Evil 2 was a game where, I mean, so yeah. we as Saturn fans, you know, we had hard luck back in the day. We had to wait for things to to hit the Saturn, you know, like wipe out, come into the Saturn late. And then, of course, Resident Evil had to wait like a whole year while uh, PlayStation fans enjoyed it and talked about it on the schoolyard and everything. And uh, they're like, well, you got you don't have this, you know. Um, and it's true. I didn't until, of course, Resident Evil came out on the Saturn. And it was actually quite a great game. I mean, I, I really rather enjoy Resident Evil on the Saturn. Um, I like the D-pad. I like the Saturn's control. And I feel like it, it just feels better yep. in my hands. So I often am willing to give up, you know, kind of like the the better looking garage shading or whatever, what have you, that you get on the PlayStation for the better feeling controller on on the Saturn. I really enjoyed uh, playing Resident Evil on the Saturn. I think you played through it for the first time, right? Uh, in recent years, right? 2018. Yeah, just, just before the dark times or before the pandemic. <laughs> yes, anyways. the yeah. dark times. Is that what we're calling it? The long winter? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So right before the pandemic, Peter played through it uh, for the very first time with fresh eyes. And you talked about it on one of our Halloween casts. So that was really interesting. Uh, it was it was yeah. phenomenal, actually, to, to hear somebody talk about it. Uh, in like modern times, just, you know, given your perspective on everything. But yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a great game. It, and, uh, you know, I thought that we would be getting Resident Evil 2 on the Saturn as well. And from what we understand, what or at least what I understand now is that the game was in development, kind of referred to as Resident Evil 1.5. It was, it was a completely different game than what we know now as Resident Evil 2, you know, because I, from what I understand, they had to like scrap everything and start over. Um, right. But yeah, you know, they were questioned about it coming to Saturn. You know, what's the deal? And um, I, I can't remember who it was that said specifically that it wouldn't be possible from a graphic standpoint to to make it run on the Saturn, you know, at least in the in the second iteration, you know, that they had going. Yeah, which... <laughs> Which is so difficult for me to accept. Look, I'm not a programmer. I don't understand what goes into, you know, what makes a game run. However, a game like Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2 mm -hmm. is essentially, um, you know, a static 2D background, possibly a little bit of animation here and there, but a static 2D background with uh, overlaid right. 3D polygonal or polygonal characters, you know, mm -hmm. to me, that should be just sort of thinking logically as a non-programmer to me, that sounds like it would be easier to render than for example, Sonic extreme or even nights for that matter, where you're rendering a complex 3d, uh, you know, world or, or environment. Right. If all you're doing is, you know, uh, manipulating two or three polygonal, you know, uh, you know, your your main character and maybe a couple zombies or whatever against a two D background. To me, that sounds a lot more manageable resource wise than than a game like Knights. So i I have a hard time understanding as a non programmer. Again, I'll highlight that right why this game would not be possible to run on the Saturn. I don't get it. Right. I think that it might have something to do with the fact that. It might it might be multiple things, you know. Obviously, the the Saturn, its weakness on the market, definitely could have played a factor, but maybe they didn't really want to cop out mm -hmm. and use that as an excuse, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
because that wouldn't be acceptable, you know, but from the fans standpoint, you know, if they, but if they could say, Oh, your system's not powerful enough to do it, you know Um, I'm thinking, you know, that maybe with the new revision, you know, scrapping it and starting all over, they may have targeted the PlayStation as a development platform. And then it would have been a matter of porting things over to Mm -hmm. a different architecture. Mm -hmm. And that would have been too much work and too much effort for what they were going to get out of it, you know? Uh, so it's easier to just say, oh, well, your system can't do it because arguably speaking, it couldn't do it directly. You would have to yeah. port it, yeah. which means you would have to translate some, you'd have to build tools. You'd have to, you know, it wouldn't be just a straight translation from the, the PlayStation over to the Saturn. You'd, you'd have to care and you'd have to make it work. You know, you'd have to convert certain things over to use the Saturn strengths, you know, uh, which the Saturn had strengths, you know, that the PlayStation didn't. But again, when it came to making something for the two platforms, you had to often do things differently, you know, if you moved over to Saturn. And it's like, if they didn't think that it was going to be worth their while, I mean, because remember, Resident Evil 1 came out in 97, right? Early 97? Or was it late 96? For the Saturn, you mean? For the Saturn. For the Saturn. I'm pretty sure it was a 97 release on the Saturn. It was 97. Okay, right. So, and and 97, as we all know, was like the Hail Mary year for Saturn. Yes. You know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing was already on the wall. Publications like Next Generation were already saying, this has to be a phenomenal year for Saturn if they want to Survive. pull themselves out. Because by that time, they were already doing the 3-3 games. They were already price-reduced the Saturn to the point where they weren't making any money off of it. They were practically giving it away, you know, and giving away three of their flagship titles, you know? So it's like com- a company who's doing well does not do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a co- that is, that is a telltale sign that something is not right. There were no three free games in Japan. Yeah. You're trying to beg people basically to buy your console and you're doing it by giving them three of the games that they would want to buy if they bought that console, you know, like those are arguably three of your best titles. You know, I say arguably because of course there's a ton of great titles on the Saturn, but at least to the American consumer, those are, those are bucket list games. You know, they're like, okay, if I'm going to get a Saturn, I definitely got to have these three games, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it's like by that time, then I can imagine sales of Resident Evil weren't great on Saturn compared to what they were on on the PlayStation a year prior, you know. So Mm -hmm. all of that amounts to a situation where it's easier to save face by just saying your console can't do it, (laughs) you know, than say, let's be honest, if we do this and put in this kind of time and effort, we're not going to make our money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, that's interesting. I never considered that perspective. Yeah. I, I think Resident Evil 2 could easily run on the Saturn if it was built ground up yeah. for the Saturn. Or if or if they were just dedicate if if the Saturn was doing well financially and Resident Evil sure. sold bucket loads yeah. and they said, OK, we're going to put a, a team together to port this properly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and again, we know that it's possible because, again, a fan from the community uh, who goes by Romulo or um, Caster Group on on YouTube has put together their own prototype engine, uh, in it, running in Mednafen, m- mind you, um, but still showing Resident Evil Two uh, running on a Saturn emulator. Right? You know. Now, of course, it is their own engine. It's not. You know, they're not. They don't have those the resources. They don't have the source code for whatever Saturn port of Resident Evil Two there was, and 
it, they're not porting it over directly, you know, from PlayStation, but they've built an engine and are showing you a demo of what Resident Evil 2 would look like on Saturn. It's doable, like you say. It's doable. It just takes time and dedication, which at that point, nobody was willing to afford the Saturn, which was a dying console by that time. And I mean, I don't know, Peter and I haven't done any kind of hard research to figure out timelines of like when Bernie said Saturn's not our future versus, you know, when Capcom decided to make this announcement. But we do know that things that were in development, like Castlevania, for example, um, really quickly got rushed out the door because it was like, oh, oh my God. Uh, okay. Sega of America just put out this damning piece of information, you know? <laughs> and yeah. now it's like, we really have to rush this out, you know, so that we can try to make our money back. See, and okay. So I was not much of a Resident Evil fan at the time. Right. I, I, you know, as you mentioned, I played it for the first time just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But at least I, like, I, I absolutely recognized the significance of the title. You know, it kind of, it just like with Tomb Raider, it sort of did something new that had never been done before. Right. You know, the whole horror genre, the sort of still security camera sort of angles, everything Mm -hmm. like that. Using cinematic. Yes. Now, Alone in the Dark did use camera angles and flipping from one camera angle to another, but arguably Alone in the Dark, it was very rusty. It was very early. It was uh, flat shaded 2D, you know, Resident Evil did it best it did it better it it combined fmv uh narrative along with gameplay and voiceover and um jump scares uh it had everything you know what i'm saying and it had inventory management and it had proper saves and you you didn't have to go into a menu to actually use your gun (laughs) you know you just hold down a trigger and you're using your gun you know so, I mean, the game did everything great. And yeah, it defined a genre, uh, survival mm-hmm. horror, you know, so. So, yeah, like it's, you could almost say that Resident Evil is to Alone in the Dark as Doom is to Wolfenstein. Yes. It just did it better. It brought it much more into the mainstream. It, it made people sure. sort of, you know, stand up and take notice right. that, hey, oh my goodness, this is a thing. And then the clones would come afterwards, right? right? Although, so, like, Quake would... Um, would kick it up a notch by bringing it into yep. like full 3d, you know, where it wasn't just that, oh, uh, sure. you know, it wasn't just that like fake kind of quasi 3d, you know, um, yep. it was very, had a verticality to everything then. So, yeah. So just back to my thoughts about not being a big resident evil fan at the time. Um, but, you know, knowing that the game was a big game, an important game, uh, the fact that the first game came out on Saturn, that was like, okay, yeah. And and right away it was like, you know what? Because it's Capcom. And Capcom and Sega had an intensely close relationship at the time. You know, Capcom may not have put out, uh, published too many games in North America, but they published a ton in Japan. And the trend continued on the Saturn. Right. And so, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking. It was, by then it was, you know, late 97, early 98. If Capcom said that, that Resident Evil 2 was coming on the Saturn, they were going to be good to their word. Right. Because they were a huge, you know, Sega sort of supporter at the time. It was going to happen. And so even though I didn't have that sort of bitter feeling when it ultimately was canceled, it was another one of those, huh, this is another nail in the coffin. Because if a third party like Capcom is going to back out. Right. You know you're in trouble. Because what they did put out on the Saturn was quality. Like, oh, I don't sure. think... I don't, I actually can go on record saying, I don't think there's a single Capcom game on Saturn that is not 
good, decent to good, you know? You know, uh, can you think of one? I mean, I like Mega Man 8. Oh, yeah, no, don't. So the only game I can think of that Capcom published on the Saturn that was maybe of questionable quality was the 2000 release of Final Fight Revenge. Maybe. Oh. Maybe. But again, (laughs) you know, released in 2000, you know. In Japan, I was thinking of North America. Oh, yeah, in North America, I, I would not say there's a single title in North America that that is of of anything other than stellar quality. So they really, right. you know, they did a great, right. great job. I mean, they understood gaming in much the same way I think Sega did. And, and they were, they had, you know, their own sort of arcade pedigree and heritage and whatever. So, uh, you know, to me that, to me, resident evil two, like I said, was, was if you needed any other signs that the end was near, this was it, you know? But again, I have to, uh, refrain that, um, in Japan, you know, there is definitely this culture of saving face, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yep. and, you know, avoiding embarrassment. And um, this is just my own opinion, but I definitely think that it's easier to blame the console than it is to just admit that there are a lot of other factors be- yes. <laughs> behind this decision. And it's just, let's face it, you know, despite the fact that we've been loyal to you, to Sega and to this console for all this time we're not going to make any return on this. It doesn't make financial business sense to make this game. It's so much easier to just kind of go on record saying the console does not have it where it counts in order to be able to do this game, which is really not that different a game to the first game. Yeah. You know, it's got, you know, it's just really not, you yeah. know, it still consists of areas that are loaded in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, using stairs or, or doors, you know, <laughs> and it's still, yeah. You know, much of it takes place indoors, you know, so, you know, we can speculate. We can't, I don't know that for sure, but I definitely have my suspicions, you know. Agreed. Uh, so we've gone through, I would say, the majority of the big ones. Yes. Um, but there are a few other ones that I'd like to touch on, you know, maybe. So we just got ton talking about Resident Evil 2, which was a, a sequel. There was another sequel um, and it was advertised in the manual of a game that we got on the Saturn, and that would be Croc 2. I loved Croc, okay? Back in the day, you know, I was a kid. I didn't really mind the difficult control because as kids, I think what we often do is we play what we have and we get good at it despite the adversity or whatever, you know? It's like if I rented Croc and I checked it out probably like 10 times in a row from the library, (laughs) you know? I just kept checking that game out and playing the heck out of it. And in the back of the manual, there was an advertisement for Croc 2 coming soon, you know? Yep, you bet. And I was like, wow, that's going to be phenomenal. You know, this is going to be great. I love this game. I love the music. I like the graphics. It's charming. Uh, For a third-party game, it definitely does a lot of things right and feels unique rather than overly generic, which often happens with third-party games. You know, it was Argonaut. I knew who Argonaut was because even then I was familiar with, um, you know, their prowess on the SNES and Star Fox and stuff like that. So I knew who they were and I could respect the fact that they made this game that felt very unique, you know. And of course, I was very disappointed that we never did get Croc 2 on the Saturn. But again, it was in development, but it just wouldn't get released because... It was 98, you know, (laughs) basically it was scheduled for a Christmas 98 release. And of course, Christmas 98 didn't happen for Saturn. No, so like, I mean, had it come out, it would have probably been right up there with Magic Knight in terms of release time. Like, 
you know, the the fat lady had sung by then. Oh, yeah. She had gone home, the lights were off, and, the, and we were shuttering the mm-hmm. uh, the opera house. So, yeah, it was by then it was game over. And, you know, like you, I quite enjoyed Croc. You know, early 3D for sure. Mm-hmm. Some, some wonderful ideas and some great charm in that game. Some problems that were inherent in early 3D games, but a worthwhile game in the end. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see a full 3D adventure on the Saturn because there weren't that many of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so the prospect of a Croc 2, I mean, obviously the first Croc did well enough to warrant a sequel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a game I look forward to. Uh, you know, mildly, I'm not going to say that, you know, it was the most exciting thing ever for me, but but I definitely had some interest there. Yeah. But I did find it interesting that in that advertisement on the back of the Croc Saturn manual where it says coming soon, Christmas 98, you know, it was ambiguous enough that you could even infer that, hey, this game is coming, but it might not be coming on the Saturn. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, it got the, its actual development got pushed into 99, uh, ultimately. So um, mm, it, it yeah. got pushed beyond its own release date anyway. So, but yeah, again, it was another one of those things where an ad like that on the back of a manual was almost a sure thing to a kid. <laughs> you yeah. know, like oh, yeah. you're yeah. just thinking, okay, well, they, I mean, they, they, they said we're going to get it, it, you know, it's so coming, we must right? be getting it right. Yeah. hundred percent. Fun fact for folks, you know, if you do try croc and I, I recommend that you do, I definitely recommend that you use a 3d control pad. Okay, which you have to set in the options. You have to go in the options and you have to change the control over to 3D and then turn the analog sensitivity way down. I'm talking like one or two. And that's one of the wonderful things that Argonaut had the foresight to give us is because you can't do that in every Saturn game that supports analog control, really dial in the, the amount of sensitivity. So I recommend that folks use the 3D analog control pad and that they just dial down the, the sensitivity way down. And then you will see that Croc is infinitely more controllable than he is just, you know, from the get-go. Yeah, no, it's fair. Absolutely. I'm curious what other games you have on your list that, because uh, you're right, we covered the big ones. We covered the really sort of big, significant games, but but there were a, a pile of others. Right. So I'm curious what else you've got. And most of them I'm noticing now are sequels. You know, like, for example, Air Knights. Air Knights was a game that was talked about um, and would be a sequel to Knights, but it would use a motion controller, you know, and um, mm-hmm. it was in development for both Saturn and then later Dreamcast until it was canceled entirely. But I read magazines like Next Generation, you know, and, and that was an industry focused magazine. And as such, it, it took interest in things like, you know, special controllers and, and developers and stuff like that. So one of the great things about reading Next Generation is it had a lot of developer interviews or even like quick takes, you know, they'd get somebody a soundbite or they'd get somebody on record saying something, you know, and it would give us insight into stuff that was coming down the pipe, you know. And so Air Nights was one of those games where I was like, another Nights game? Oh, my God, I'm in heaven, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And honestly, yeah. Air Nights would become, I think, Journey of Dreams on the Wii you know, with the motion control, people could argue that that's what happened, you know, but because honestly, the the Air Knights controller looks a lot like what would become like a Wii remote, except it had like Dreamcast flavored buttons on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. you could even argue that the Air Knights controller informed the Wiimote's design because uh, Kenji Tosaki even said when the Wiimote came out, he was like, oh, interesting. That looks a lot like the controller that I designed for Air Knights. But yeah, didn't come, didn't come out. But again, it was one that was talked about um, I think by that time, 
I was not naive at all about that kind of stuff. You know, I would say that in 96 mm-hmm. and early 97, I was much more naive when somebody said something was coming out versus like towards late 97 and 98 when, when something would be announced, you know, you would just take it with a grain of salt. But again, it was yeah. something that was mentioned. Absolutely. D2 was also something that initially started development uh, for the canceled M2. Uh, and then a Saturn version was in development for a period during 97. And again, that's something that you would read about in like uh, Game Fan and in Next Generation. I'm not sure if they mentioned D2 in the official Sega Saturn magazine. Oh, they did. They did. Okay. Can you, t- can you talk about that? Because Yeah, yeah, for sure. So D2 was mentioned as a mystery game by uh, Kenji Eno. Right. And... Uh, um, there wasn't too much on it because of course the game never materialized, but at first it was um, going to be um, much more of a sequel to D and then, and then ultimately ended up moving to Dreamcast. Like there was very few, there was very little reporting on it as a Saturn game. Right. However, and I don't recall whether this was in the Saturn magazine or in next gen, it could have been next gen. Now that I think about it, um, Ken Giano did go to a PlayStation only event Right. where he debuted um, what would end up being, I believe, Enemy Zero. Enemy Zero, yeah. And at that point, he said, this is only coming out on the Saturn. It is not coming out on the PlayStation right, at all. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And he just like, you know, it was a big thing. Cause, oh, uh, I mean, you know, he played the trailer, you know, and then at the end, there was a PlayStation yes. logo and it morphed into a Saturn logo. And that right. was all over the fact that he'd been burnt by, uh, by Sony. Them underpublishing D, you know. He was so proud of D. D came out on the 3DO. It was a phenomenal success. It got ported to PC. It got ported to Saturn. It got ported to everything, you know? And it was a phenomenal game. And it was something that he artistically should have been very proud of. You know, it, it, it it's quite a game. It really is. Uh, it's an interactive movie, you know, it takes place over two hours, you know? And um, artistically speaking, it might even eclipse Enemy Zero or D2, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of, you know, what it does so well within a short amount of time, you know? Yeah. And Kenji Anno was one of those guys who liked to force you to play games his way. You know, whether it was like real sound causing no regret, which had no graphics. It was like, this is it. It's audio, you know? You know, he he just was like, I'm going to create experiences. I'm going to do what I want, you know? And of course, um, Sony, they underpublished it by a lot, you know? Yep. And, he, you know, he took great offense to that. And then he was just like, okay, well then uh, I'm going to publish for Saturn only, you know? So that's what... Yes. But yeah, um, the truth is that D2 started development on the M2, uh, Panasonic's subsequent effort, which was a beefy console. The games that I've seen on the M2 rival the N64. They look like an N64 on speed, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're not as good as a Dreamcast, not quite as good as Dreamcast uh, graphically, but they're much better than Nintendo 64. So they're kind of like they straddle this middle ground between like Mm -hmm. N64 Mm -hmm. and uh, Dreamcast. I would almost say that they've got like the, the rendering power of the N64 with better textures, you know, it yeah, almost looks fair. like that. Yep. That's how I would describe it. Cause you know, the N64 has like the muddy textures. Yep. It doesn't have as much memory for that, but where M2 was a disc based console and it had, it could hold a lot more information off of that disc. But so um, definitely the original D2, which was kind of like, uh, believe there's a playable demo. There's definitely a, a video demo of it. You got like a knight in a castle and it's just much more, it's very different from what D2 yes. would actually become, you know? Yeah. And I think that they were still leaning heavily on the kind of uh, mythos of uh, 
Uh, well, I'm just going to say it, Dracula, basically. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm sorry, you know, guys, but this game is like super old by now. Um, but essentially, yeah, they were leaning more on that, I think, in the original D2 build. And I don't think that it would have been doable on a Saturn. Not like that. It would definitely, it would definitely have been watered down because the M2 was more powerful uh, than the Saturn or the PlayStation or the N64 for that matter. So it would, it would make sense that they would end up going to Dreamcast with it, you know? But again, it was one that we would hear about being in development for Saturn and subsequently canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, I have more, but did you want to step in and, and uh, mention some, you know, I just have one last one that I'm going to mention and I actually have zero information on this title at all, but it just seems super fascinating to me. Okay. What's that? And that is a title acclaim was going to put out on the Saturn huh. called NHL breakaway 98. Oh, and, and again, was this the arcade one? No, because that was Open Ice, I think you're thinking of. You're thinking of open yeah. Ice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was right. NHL Open okay. Ice. Anyways, NHL Breakaway 98 was canceled right around the time Bernie did his Saturn is Not Our Future announcement. Um, and, and again, I have no idea what kind of game it would have been, whether it ultimately released elsewhere. Couldn't tell you. Don't know. But how can I possibly pass up another NHL game on the Saturn? So (laughs) I hook for it. And so I was because they were going to initially publish it under their Acclaim Sports brand or whatever. And it just, yeah, it just never happened. It never came out. For all I know, it could have been crap or it could have been a playable Mm -hmm. arcadey type game. Who knows? But uh, I love uh, NHL um, video games. There are five of them on the Saturn. Would have been nice if there was a sixth one, and it just never happened. So that's my the Saturn really brings it when it comes to NHL. I feel like like it's well represented, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it does. And none of the games are like absolute trash. I mean, I guess Gray Matters game from um, yeah. isn't the best, but. Even it has things going for it, like the yeah, opening cinematic. Yeah. And some people really like that early kind of like 2D uh, sprites 3D, on top yeah, of like yeah, yeah, 3D, yeah. you know, like the rotating yeah, sprites, yeah. you know. Um, it's got a vibe to it that I feel like should be experienced. Like people should slap a copy of that original NHL All-Star Hockey into their Saturn and just soak in that early 90s uh, glory, you know, like it was featured in Mall Rats and everything like that. It just absolutely it it really is like you put on some grunge music in the background and you just like bliss out to that game. I think that you're going to have a, a at least an interesting time. <laughs> you know? But yeah, Sega really did. You know, they, they treated NHL pretty well on the console. The NFL did not. You know, football did not get as much of a good showing baseball. You know, we have some good baseball games on the Saturn, but uh, no, I, you know, I was going to bring up some games that were like, again, really high profile stuff like, um, okay, cover story, OSSM. We're Mm. talking heart of darkness. You're thinking heart of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Phenomenal game. Kind of hard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there, can, there are some parts of it where, you know, these little black uh, spirit creatures are after you and that, you know, it can be a difficult game at times. But I mean, it is a showpiece for sure when it comes to like hand drawn 2D uh, artwork. And um, you're familiar with the game, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And of course, it made the cover of uh, official Sega Saturn magazine. So it, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that it was coming, you know. And uh, what we do know is that it did get developed and it was pretty much finished, uh, but it wasn't going to run on stock Saturn hardware because what is out there, what exists out there, the the images that have been dumped require extra RAM uh, yep. in order to run, like a lot. 
extra than what we would get on the Saturn. And that tells us that it would have had to have been watered down quite a bit in order to come out on Saturn. Either they would have had to make compromises somewhere. Either they would have had to have some kind of ram cart come out in the US, which it never did. Uh, and even then, if the ram cart had come out in the US, they still would have had to compress it and dial it down from what it was in order to make it run on that scenario. You know, I can only imagine they were running it on a development kit with extra RAM or on a PC or whatnot, but uh, essentially it requires like eight megabit, I want to say. Oh, so like well, we got, we had a four megabit RAM cart, right? Yeah. Yes. Four megabit was, was the highest RAM cart that was released. I think this would have been, would have had to have been, I've heard some people say 16 megabit, but I think it's eight at least eight megabit ram cart in order to run it um the images which you can download on hiddenpalace.org um they will run in an emulator with uh you have to emulate a larger ram cart you know in order for it to it to work but it will work and and we have uh k a murder of crows to thank for the dumping of that image Mm -hmm. yep but yeah so i mean again uh, this is this is one that I looked forward to back in the day. This is one that I read the article. I have the magazine right over there. I mean, it has the boy on the front cover and his dog, you know, and it was a huge six page article or something, you know, with artwork and everything, you know, so they had screenshots. I imagine the magazines had some kind of build of it. That's the thing is, I don't know how they, I don't know how they got that footage unless maybe they were invited to Mm, headquarters, Yeah, you know, to play it. Yeah, I don't know, because it wouldn't be like, hey, we're going to send you a dev kit with this, you know, so that you can play it. But yeah, that would have been a good one. You're right. Heart of Darkness it did release on the PlayStation, but it was due to be a Sega Saturn exclusive for a period. Um, mm. But after losing its publisher in 1996, the game was delayed. And by the time it was released, mid 1998, it was only on PlayStation and Windows. Um, but yeah, amazing. Another one I want to mention is uh, Into the Shadows, which was a scavenger uh, mm. game. Well, Scavenger was the development house, right? But of course, it was Team Triton, which was a member of Scavenger Games. And we did a interview, a lengthy interview with uh, Christian Lorson of Scavenger. And uh, it was Daniel Small and and Christian Lorson who kind of co-CEO'd uh, Scavenger Games. And of course, they, they signed a really naive contract with GT Interactive. GT Good Times video, they were known for pumping out these like rip-off Disney movies uh, straight to video. And that was kind of like their bread and butter. And then, of course, they had the dumb luck of uh, backing this game called Doom, you know, and releasing it. And it ended up being the smash success. And that was dollar signs in their eyes. And they were like, oh, gosh, video games. Video games are, are huge, you know, and maybe we can do some more of this. Oh, we need some stupid, you know, young blood developer who's willing to, you know, sign their life away for multiple titles, you know, that we can just <laughs> cash out on, you know, the way that yeah. we did with Doom. Because again, Doom was a title where uh, it got turned down by multiple publishers. They got turned down left and right. And then they got lucky enough to find Good Times Interactive, which were like, we don't care what we publish because we're in the business of publishing garbage. Um, but they happened to strike a hit uh, with yeah. Doom. And of course, uh, the rest is history. You know, uh, Scavenger signed this contract to deliver uh, three games, I believe. And it might have been more than that, but at least three games um, for an amount, a certain amount of money. You know, we're talking millions. And they delivered two games, uh, one of which was Scorcher and one of which was Amok on the Saturn. But they were not able to deliver Into the Shadows. 
But what we did see is articles in official Sega Saturn magazine and articles in Next Generation. Uh, they were like the darlings of E396. Like they hit it out of the park with their presentation. They're this huge pyramid uh, that they built, you know, at E3 and all these TV monitors and all these playable demos and Into the Shadows was just phenomenal looking, you know, like it, it definitely looked like uh, the bee's knees, you know, it was, uh, this game that had sword fighting and dungeons and stuff like that. And it looked honestly, so from what we know, it was not running on a Saturn. It was running on a PC, but you know, they had the intent was to build it on PC and then port it to Saturn. And they said it was totally doable. And of course we're coming from, you know, these brilliant programmers who were able to make a mock and Scorcher happened on Saturn. And those actually, uh, despite not having much story for them, they did have really good graphics, you know? Yes. And they were talked about from that standpoint, you, the voxels on a mock. And then of course, Scorcher with it's, uh, had a pretty fast speed to it and uh, yep. the tracks and the backgrounds and stuff like that, you know, they were like really glorified tech demos basically, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so you had team lemon who did, uh, who did a mock, you had team Zyrinx who did uh Scorcher and then you had team Triton. So I think was like a Swedish uh, developer or Finnish. I can't remember, but yeah, Team Triton was, they were not in the US. They were over across uh, the Atlantic and they were continuing to develop and it just kept, got bogged down in that, in that whole development cycle and just never saw the light of day. But again, it was a high profile game that was talked about quite a bit because everybody was so enamored by these guys and their technical prowess. They were kind of like a lobotomy soft if you will, you know, these were the same guys that did that amazing 32 X demo. They did Zyrinx. Yeah. yeah. Zyrinx did the 32 X demo that really helped sell it, you know, uh, yeah. to like that helped green light it, you know, basically they, they said, he, you know, here's what can be done on the 32 X, you know, from a, from a 3d graphics standpoint. And of course these guys were like Amiga hackers, mm -hmm. demo scene people. They, they knew how to get the most out of a chip, you know, and that they already worked with the Motorola chips, you know, on the Amiga. So it was a, it was kind of a no brainer, but not every developer would be able to do that with the 32 no, X, you know, <laughs> but either way, you know, it was a, it was a big thing, you know, it was a into the shadows, uh, was, uh, announced and, uh, never released on any platform, uh, much less the Saturn, you know? So, and of course scavenger went out of business because they never got paid by GT interactive and the rest is history. You guys can, uh, Go back and check out our interview with them if you're interested. It's very, very interesting. Lots of corporate betrayal. That's terrible, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. We're, we're coming up on time, but I want to mention a couple others. Shredfest. Shredfest is one that I would love people to help me with. Uh, it's a game that has uh, just basically disappeared into complete obscurity, but um, Shredfest was an EA game. It was a follow-up to Road Rash, okay? And Shredfest would be a road rash sequel on snowboards where you are whipping people with chains and weapons and all stuff, but you're going downhill on a snowboard. It did exist. Okay. It, it would have, it would have come out on Saturn PlayStation and 3DO. The, the versions were announced. It does exist in some capacity because I can tell you, and I have video footage of this pulled from a Tronics uh, video from E3 96, I believe it is uh, where you have those, colorful hand-drawn uh screens yep. of like yep. uh people's stretched faces and stuff like that yeah so there were there were plenty of those there were plenty like loading screens with like different characters and stuff like that there was in-game 
footage of dudes shredding down down a slope, you know, in game. Whether it was PlayStation or whether it was Saturn, I can't tell you, but there is footage of it uh, being demoed at E3 96. And um, I love the concept. And they had Paw, uh, the band that, that provided a lot of music for uh, Road Rash. They had them... Uh, on it with a couple of tracks in this demo, you know, so they also had the music lined up, you know, with uh, grunge, you know, music. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would have been, it would have been more of the same, I guess, but just like with a different kind of flavor, you know, the, the whole snowboarding thing, you know, and it was called shred fest. So that's one that, you know, you're not going to find much information on it. There was like a French magazine that covered it a little bit, but again, it's, it's, it's one for like unseen 64, you know, <laughs> But again, it was one that that would have been a high profile title if it had released and it just didn't, you know. Um, and then Vector Man 3, you know, I, I was I was a big fan of ve- the Vector Man games, you know, on, on the Genesis. Um, it wasn't for everybody, but I mean, I, I loved the graphics. I loved the music and I loved just the fast pace and fluidity of, of the motion and stuff. Um, the Vector Man series was phenomenal and it existed in that mid late 90s era where like SNES was trying to squeeze that last blood out of the SNES, you know, with the Donkey Kong Country games um, and the Killer Instinct stuff where it was quasi 3D or it was like basically pre-rendered 3D, you know, and Sega answered back with Vector Man, you know, which was also a very kind of like three-dimensional looking game in the same vein as like Balls 3D. You remember Balls 3D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's essentially, you know, this character built out of floating orbs you know basically his limbs were all just like floating orbs and so he would fire these you know pulse cannon shots from his hands and he would have like boosters uh on his feet you know jet boosters this was a uh, blue sky interactive yep. very fluid animation in those games very fluid animation and and you know i was excited for a vector man 3 on the saturn I didn't even care if it was 3D. I I didn't even think it would be 3D. I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like the pinnacle of Vector Man, you know, because the Saturn was proven to handle 2D graphics so well and so quickly. I was like, this will be like 60 frames per second, you know, and a much bigger color palette because that's one of the things Vector Man kind of suffered from was that limited color palette on the Genesis. Artistically, they kind of used that limitation to kind of build a a vibe, you know, with Vector Man. It was very dark. It was very dystopian. Um, But, you know, I figured on the Saturn, this game would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, And I, you know, we heard about it in the magazines, but there was no official reason given for the game's cancellation. It was just, um, I guess, Sega stopped working with Blue Sky for some reason uh, after the Genesis era. And I just don't really know. Like, if anybody knows more about it, I would love to know because there, there was a subsequent uh, Vector Man game, right? For the Xbox or something. And I don't know if that was canceled. No, I don't think so. I think it was in development for... What, for the Dreamcast? No, I'm oh. thinking PS2. PS2, okay. And it was canceled ultimately as well. It was canceled as yeah. well. And that was a 3D effort. Yeah. And that and it does exist. And I do think there is a dump that is playable. Or, okay, I've seen it on YouTube. I've like, I've seen it running. So whether it was running from a developer or whether it's a playable dump, you know, maybe folks can educate me in the comments, but needless to say, you know, they tried to take it 3d, but I mean, honestly, a vector man three on the Saturn in 2d would have been phenomenal. Yep. I can't even imagine because it was already such a great game on the Genesis, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but like utilizing the Saturn's 
Yamaha sound chip and utilizing the Saturn's uh, all of its graphical capabilities. I can only imagine, you know, like the, what that would be like. But uh, it, you know, the 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 two Genesis games, the two Mega Drive games, had an almost like a. You're right. It's a dystopian, almost like a techno vibe yes, to it. Yes. Yes. So you know, it it would have been. Could, I can just see it like a run and gun game using the Saturn sound chip, the Saturn's palette. Yeah. You know, super smooth animation, larger worlds, more enemies on screen. I mean, this could have been like a very sort of pumping techno. You know, just sort of like a a a, a very loud sort of game, which would mm. have I think been cool. And it's just such a shame that the headwinds of the time were just, you know, it has to be 3D. 3D is the buzzword. No one's going to care about 2D. And because you're right, I I too would have, I think, greatly enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last game, you know, honestly, I have more, but I, I, I just don't think we have time. <laughs> but I do want to mention Fighting Force because, you know, when I was talking to Sega Lord X, we, we were talking about like how Sega would do this funny thing where they would just they would have so much success with certain IPs on on the Genesis, right? You know, and then they would just completely flip a switch and be like, we're just going to go in a completely opposite direction with the Saturn, right? You know, so love it or hate it. You know, if you're coming along for the ride, you know, get on board. But here we're going to do everything different, you know, and then when the Dreamcast comes, we'll flip the switch again. and <laughs> We're going to do everything different then, you know. Uh, so it was like rather than, you know, Nintendo, which just like builds on their IPs every console generation you know you know you're going to get a zelda game you know you're going to get a metroid yeah. game and you know you're going to get multiple mario games likely or spin-off mario games you know uh but with sega yeah it was just you had these phenomenal games on the genesis that just wouldn't come to the saturn and one of those was the streets of rage series you know yes. streets of rage was just one of my favorite it still remains to this day like streets of rage 2 is probably my favorite genesis game it's close there's a lot of great uh games on the mega drive genesis but i love streets of rage 2 i can play it anytime and the music Shiro music is amazing just everything about that game is just phenomenal uh and then you know we wouldn't get a streets of rage game on the saturn but i want to say like fighting force was probably the closest thing you know, that would resemble a Streets of Rage game. And there is a playable demo, you know, that you can download on Hidden Palace, okay? And it does run on an emulator. Um, I believe it also runs on real hardware. It's really cool, you know? So this game came out on the PlayStation, am I right? I believe it did, yes. Fighting Force, yeah. So developed and eventually completed. It was IDOS, right? Um, But uh, they decided against publishing the, the Saturn version. Um, Sega of Europe secured the publishing rights and announced a European release date of November 97, but it was ultimately canceled. Uh, so PlayStation Windows and Nintendo 64 re- versions were released between 97 99. Uh, so no, this wasn't uh, an official you know, Streets of Rage game or anything like that, but we didn't really get anything like Streets of Rage on the Saturn. And Fighting Force was really kind of like the 3D answer to that. So you know, I highly recommend that folks... Uh, download a copy of fighting force from hidden palace and give it a go it's actually it's quite cool you know it wasn't completed but um at least not on saturn and there there are some glitchy things going on here and there but i mean for the most part it's playable and it's fun (laughs) you know it it actually is fun yeah the sequel came out on the dreamcast and i'm reasonably confident that fighting force was initially supposed to be uh, the next Streets of Rage. It would have been Streets of Rage 4, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. But Sega didn't greenlight it, didn't go for right. it, whatever. 
sort of like how Croc was initially supposed to be a Yoshi game. Right. Exactly. And it got kiboshed, so it became an original IP. So it just kind of spun off into its own thing, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. So I agree. That would have been a good one. Yeah. But it was pitched to Sega. So that's, yeah, that's where that confusion I think comes from. It was, just, it was pitched to Sega as a, you know, yeah. this could be, you know, a, a, a follow-up to Streets of Rage series. And of course they, they just did. didn't get it. And again, it's, it's, it's like, it's a good game. I mean, play it folks. Let me know what you think, because honestly, it, it definitely would have, done a serviceable job at being a streets of rage game i mean get yuzo kashiro back to do the music for it and stuff like that and you know it it is 3d of course but i mean look at it this way it's better than contra was on the saturn (laughs) you know like it does a better job bringing streets of rage into 3d than i think contra uh did of uh of bringing contra into 3d on the saturn you know so that's all Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say you know um, but definitely, yeah, some of the other ones that I had on here was like Alien Resurrection, mm. uh, was announced for Saturn and canceled, uh, Fade to Black, which was, uh, Delphine Software, the follow-up to, uh, Flashback, uh, which ended up hitting PC and, and PlayStation, but, uh, that was announced for Saturn in like 96 and never came to light. And, uh, Grand Theft Auto, people may not be aware, but Grand Theft Auto, was originally in development for Saturn, Nintendo uh, 64, and PlayStation uh, before, and that was DMA design before they were Rockstar, you know? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Medieval was a really cool uh, franchise on the PlayStation, but early work of the game was done on the Saturn and Windows. Uh, so, you know, the, and these, again, were things that you'd read about in magazines back then. Not much information. You you really wouldn't have much to go off of except for just like a few yep. little scraps in a magazine, you know, and that's the way it was back then. You'd read something in a magazine and then it would just disappear and nobody would ever hear about it again. It wouldn't be talked about. Those things just got swept under the rug, yes. you know? Yeah, exactly. So if you were an average fan, uh, you know, and I use that term very gently, if you were an average fan or a multi-platform fan, then... Odds are good none of these things would really hit your consciousness very, very much at all. Yeah. So. And this is really just scratching the surface. That's all I'm going to say. What we've talked about are most of like the high profile Mm -hmm. games. You know, you you mention it, you mention the title and people know what it is. You know, Uh, there were many, many, many games that were canceled that you would have no idea what they are. You know, I mean, even we talked about Scavenger uh, Into the Shadows was the high profile one, but man, they had like a handful of other games that were canceled being worked on by different teams, you know, that you didn't even hear about Agreed. or that would end up going on to be PC games, you know, like, uh, like that, uh, that other one, uh, Messiah. was it called Messiah? Messiah. Exactly. Yep. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, some of these games were completely developed, you know, finished games and then canceled, yeah. uh, just for money, reasons you know they're cutting their losses basically some of these games were really only vapor or they were just you know the beginnings of a demo that would have been complete jank and so they were canceled basically put out of their misery and then some of these games were um you know developed but then ended up having to move platforms you know Mm -hmm. for uh purposes of uh the the hardware couldn't handle it or the scope of the game became bigger and it needed a a a stronger platform to be able to like realize that yes you know but but yeah it's crazy uh saturn has a lot of canceled games so 
hopefully we we are able to cover you know a little bit of each of the higher profile ones and and again i just want to emphasize here if you are someone who was involved in the development of any of these games in the past and would like to maybe bring some of this stuff uh you know to the surface for fans like dave and i and others to sort of devour and experience you know please reach out to us uh, oh know, yeah we really please. do nerd out on this sort of stuff so you know, don't think that just because it's now 20 plus years old, no one's going to care about it. There there are going to be people who who would love this kind of stuff. So, again, if you know, if you're someone that was involved in the the development or production of 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 canceled games like this before, please do reach out. I think there's a whole community out there that would be massively grateful. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, if you happen to be sitting on, you know, any kind of demos or or unreleased builds or if you happen to be sitting on some discs that you don't know what's on them and you don't have the hardware to dump them or to do anything with them you know reach out okay like let us know we'll hook up and we'll figure out a way to get that information dumped so that uh, we could you know take a look at it if you know that you're sitting on something like that please (laughs) you know do us all a favor and at least uh you know show it off on youtube or something like that you know so uh like the like the shenmue build you know they're out there they are out there it's just a matter of like people sitting on them and not saying anything you know but uh but we know they're out there so yep absolutely what a fun episode dave this was a lot of fun to chat through yeah absolutely so you know we hope you guys enjoyed this little talk and and by all means, do let us know if you have anything you want to add to the discussion. Um, and until next time, it's Saturn Dave and Peter reminding you that you must play your Sega Saturn. And we'll check you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>